morning. It is good to be here, good to have the opportunity uh, to bring to you uh, a challenge from the Word of God that I hope is a challenge for today for you. I um, uh, have the privilege to do this occasionally when when uh, either Jamie uh, needs to just take a break or he has the opportunity to take his wife uh, out on an anniversary trip. And so uh, this happened to be a week of their anniversary. And so uh, to give him an anniversary gift, I said, you don't need to be preparing a sermon while you're away. So please let me preach. And he said, yes. So um, so I have, I have the opportunity to bring you uh, the word this morning. Uh, we're continuing our study in Philippians. If this is your uh, first time with us or, or you're relatively new and you've never filled out one of these um, connect cards, I, I encourage you, they should be in the seats in front of you. If you're in the red chairs, if you're in the what Jamie calls the cheaper seats in the back, uh, there might be a couple spread out in different places on those chairs. It's just a way for you to... Uh, share with us uh, who you are and help us know how we can get connected with you. Uh, maybe have uh, lunch or coffee or something and get to know you. Let you get to know us uh, a little bit uh, as far as Summit Crossing is, is concerned. There's another way you can get to know us. It's, um, we have a Discover class. Uh, it usually happens on the first Sunday of every month. Uh, next month, being a, uh, there being a holiday there on that weekend, we're going to do the Discover class on July the 9th. So uh, if you're looking for uh, learning more about Summit Crossing, finding out who we are, what we believe, what our goals are, it's important that you understand uh, the goals of Summit Crossing, the value, the vision, the direction of Summit Crossing, then I encourage you uh, to attend that Discover class on July the 9th, which would actually be the second Sunday of of July rather than the first. So I hope that you'll look forward to that. That, that class takes place right outside those back doors and across the, the uh, foyer area in a, in a small classroom. So that'll be on July the 9th to help you understand a little bit about Summit Crossing and our goals. Um, it is important that you understand goals. It's important that you see the goal, right? Um, I, I've had the, the privilege of watching children swim now for um, two and a half, three years, going on three years. And what I mean by watching them swim is competitive swimming. I never did competitive, competitive swimming as a kid, didn't even know it was really a sport. I thought they only did that once every four years, you know, um, <clears throat> in the Olympics. But no, kids actually do this and they, they swim. And, and it's funny because you, you can sit there and you watch them and, and you can pick the ones out have been doing it a few years, right? And then there are some that it's just their first time. They've just never done it. And it's interesting to watch the backstroke because I don't know if you've watched much swimming, but on the backstroke, you can't see where you're going, right? And young swimmers who have never really paid much, you know, had not had much practice of trying to go straight on the backstroke end up going from lane rope to lane rope to lane rope the lane rope all the way down the the pool. As a matter of fact, there are occasions when the arm may come up on the other side of the lane rope, right? Uh, may or may not grab the competitor. I'm not sure. But yes, the arm does come up the other side of the lane rope at times. And what I learned from this is we need to be able to see the goal, right? It's difficult to get to where you're going if you can't see the goal, 
If you don't know what the goal is, know what the target is, know what direction you're supposed to be headed in, and keep your eyes fixed on that goal, it is very difficult to ensure that you're headed in the right direction. And the truth is the same is true of our Christian walk and of Christianity in general, right? So this morning, what I want to do from Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 1, which has already been read for you, I want to talk a little bit about the goal of Christianity. What, what is it? And, and the whole concept here is, is this charge for you to become imitators. Become imitators, and that is in your pursuing the Christian goal or the goal of Christianity. And so if, you, if we don't understand the goal and we take our eye off the goal of Christianity, we will find ourselves wandering from rain, lane rope to lane rope in life, right? Just meandering around with no real intent and no real purpose and no real drive. Just kind of let life happen to us and we become whoever we become. It's not the goal of Christianity, obviously. So what is the goal of Christianity? Uh, some, some would say, you know, eternal life is the goal of Christianity, right? Eternal life. And that's what John three sixteen says, right? That, that, if you, that if you believe in him, right, you will have eternal life. That's the, the goal. Well, can I be confessional for a moment? As a very young child, that confused me. Um, I don't know, know. Those of you that know me know that I'm extremely logical and quite literal, and children are even more literal. And so, you know, I've grown out of some of, some of that, but not a whole lot. But as a child, I was still very, very, very literal. And so I thought that if you believed in Jesus, you would have eternal life. And then my grandmother died. And I thought, but I thought she believed in Jesus. Why did she die? Of course, I had to be retrained in my brain as to what we mean by eternal life, right? Life in Christ and life forevermore in the presence of God in our resurrected bodies before the throne and living in that perfect state, right? That, that had to mature in me over time. But even so, it does raise the question, should we say that eternal life is the goal of Christianity? I think not. And you'll see why in a moment. Maybe, maybe we'd say it differently. Maybe we'd say just salvation is the goal of Christianity. Just, just getting saved is the goal. As a matter of fact, you can see this from, from uh, evangelist to evangelist to evangelist, right? This, this is not only the goal of Christianity in their minds, but it's the goal of preaching, the singular goal of preaching in their minds as well. It's just to get people saved. And once they pray a prayer or once they make a confession or once they make a decision or once they get baptized, then we've accomplished the goal and we can move on to the next person. Because the goal's been accomplished. That's a misunderstanding of the goal of Christianity. That, that's, that's saying that the goal is just to get to heaven. And if we just make the decisions, and I've told you the story before, I believe. I don't, I don't remember. But I, 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 I built a relationship with a, a gentleman. This was years ago now, more than 15 years ago probably. Um, 
building a relationship with a gentleman and just beginning to share the gospel with him. We shared a few things in common, not a whole lot. We both liked to read. He was um, in his 50s at the time. I was in my 20s at the time. But we, we just had struck up this relationship over probably six, eight months. We were reading political books together. We were reading different things together. And we would get together and talk. He didn't go to church anywhere. But he was friends of people that I went to church with. And one day, um, after all of this building of relationship, I was able to actually start talking about my religious views. We were talking about political views, and that spilled over into my religious views. And I started sharing the gospel with him, um, and he actually started listening. Over a, a little longer of period of time, uh, it came to a point where his mother passed away, and I ministered him during that time of grief for him, and he was driving up to Tennessee and taking care of things that belonged to her. This was a couple of months after her passing. And he called me on the phone and literally said these words. He said, Joey, I found it. Matter of fact, he said, Pastor Joey, I found it. And I said, you found what? He said, in my mom's trunk at the foot of her bed, there was this card that had my name on it that said, I got baptized at a VBS when I was seven years old. He said, I don't even remember it, but I did it. I was like, well, that's great. Let's talk about what that means. Let's get together. You know, he was in Tennessee. I mean, he called me from her house. I said, when you get back in town, let's, let's get together and let's talk about what that means. He says, no, I don't think we need to talk about it anymore. It's done. He thought the goal was to get the ticket. And since he had his ticket, he was done. This is a sad, sad, very true story. He thought he was done. We didn't talk after that. I tried to reach out to him. I tried to read other books with him. He was done. Had his ticket. Getting into heaven by whatever means you may believe, is not the goal of Christianity. Moral perfection, some may say, is the goal of Christianity, and I think that far misses the mark, and some have even tried to use this text to prop that up. But let's just look at what Paul has said is his goal as he follows Christ, and we're going to have to back up just a little bit to last week's text, the end of last week's text. It's not going to be on the screen for you, but... It's Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. This is what leads into what we're doing today. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what Paul says, his goal is, his focus, his drive The thing he desires to attain by any means possible is the resurrection of the dead, first and foremost. Do you realize that that's what we say is our goal as Christians? Our goal is to attain to resurrection, to be bodily raised after we have died. That's our goal. And I think sometimes we forget to focus on that as our goal. 
This is why Paul says in other places that, that if, if, if Christ is not raised, then we above all men are most to be pitied because the, the thing we have set as our hope and our goal in life is impossible if Christ is not risen. And so we are most to be pitied. Our goal is our own resurrection and thereby glorification into the likeness of Christ. But that wasn't the only thing he said in verses 10 and 11. He also said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, right? So Paul's goal is to know God and the power of the resurrection. Know by experience in relationship with God and know by experience the power of resurrection. That's what he's talking about. These are our goals. Jesus backs this up when he says, in John 17, and he's talking about eternal life because some of us may still think eternal life is really the goal. When Jesus talks about eternal life in John 17, he says, this is eternal life, knowing God. So our goal is really twofold as Christians. It is to know God and know the power of resurrection. Know Him by relational experience and know the resurrection experientially after our death. These are the things that we set as our goals. Some may call us crazy. I call us the people of God. All right. So if salvation in the form of resurrection and knowing God fully as we are fully known are the goals of Christianity, then the next question I have to ask is not just what is the goal, but when do we pursue this goal? When do we pursue this goal? We're going to do some of the five W's today, by the way. We're, we're going to do a what, when, who. I can't even say them in this order because, you know, it just doesn't work. But what, when, who, where, and how. Um, I want to say who, what, when, where, and why, and how, right? But I, want, I, I honestly almost reorganized the sermon around who, what, when, where, why, and how, but that's not the order of the text, so I just made myself do it in the way that I can't say it. What, when, who? What, when, who, where, and how? So the five W's. So when do we pursue this goal? If resurrection is the goal, do we pursue it after death? Makes sense, right? I'm not really going to be resurrected until I've died unless we're here when Christ returns and in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, we are changed, right? As Paul says to the Corinthians. Or do we pursue it in the past? Do we pursue this in the past? Well, let's look at it. So some people do think that we pursue the goals of Christianity by looking back on our works in the past. Whether it's a, a, a work of of uh, performing righteous deeds and righteous acts and we look at our past and we look at our life and we examine whether or not our good works outweigh our bad or, or if we try to look at our life and examine whether or not we've, we've done good by others, if we've just lived as a good Christian citizen in our nation or in our communities and we we look at our life in the past and look at our works to try to determine if we have properly pursued resurrection from the dead or the goals of Christianity, whatever misunderstanding we may have of them, right? This is, this is of course, legalism, right? As we look back at the past and try to 
understand our works to determine whether or not we are pursuing or have pursued properly the goals of Christianity. This is this is legalism. It's it's like it's like somebody looking. Uh, I'm a NASCAR fan, so it's like looking at at yesterday. Today's Sunday. There's a race today. It's like looking at yesterday and saying, "Well, I, I did really well yesterday in qualifying." As a matter of fact, I did so well yesterday in qualifying. I won the pole. For those that aren't NASCAR fans, that means I get to start first, right? I'm the fastest. I was the fastest on qualifying day. I'm on the pole. I get to start this race. So I've won. Wait a minute. You haven't won? You won the pole, but you still have 500 miles to go, right? You haven't even begun the race. And so I'm afraid at times we try to look back on our past and look at our past effort and say, because I did such and such good thing in the past, then I'm okay. I have accomplished the goal. Well, the goal has not even been begun to be pursued. That's legalism. Some look at the past and not look at what they've done, but they look at what they've decided, right? Looking back on the past and and looking at past decisions, saying, well, when I was seven years old, I walked an aisle and I shake the preacher's hand and I prayed a prayer and I got baptized and my grandmother or my mother has the card in the trunk of, uh, of the foot of her bed that says I did it. I don't remember it, but I did it. And so I made the right decision in the past. Therefore, I've accomplished the goal of Christianity because I'll go to heaven based on this piece of paper, I guess. That's a, that's a kind of a weird form of Gnosticism, to be honest with you. It's saying I was smart enough and I had knowledge of the truth in the past at some point. And that knowledge will save me. Works don't save us and knowledge doesn't save us. As a matter of fact, I made a decision when I was about eight or nine or somewhere in there. Honestly, I don't know how, how old I was exactly, but somewhere around eight or nine, I made a decision to follow Jesus. I made a decision to be a Christian when I was about eight or nine. But you know what I did when I was about nine or ten? I made a decision to be an NBA star. And I worked hard throughout my teenage years to become that NBA star. I had idols hanging on my bedroom wall. One of them, of course, was Michael Jordan, just because of the years that I grew up. The other was Spud Webb because of my own height, right? I gave a lot of energy to try to become that. But the fact that I decided to be it certainly didn't make it so, did it? Looking back on past decisions and saying, though that decision had nothing to do with the rest of my life, I must have made the right decision then is a weird form of Gnosticism that is not saving. Paul says, no, we don't, we don't pursue this goal in the past or even by looking at the past. As a matter of fact, he, he says in verse 12, the beginning of our text for today, not that I have already obtained this or am already completed or perfect. He says, I, I, I don't look at the past 
As a matter of fact, if you remember Jamie's sermon from last week, he talked about how he was a Hebrew of Hebrews and, and he was circumcised on the eighth day and he was the Pharisee and all those things. And he puts all of that stuff behind him and says, I don't, I don't base anything that I'm doing on what I was in the past or who I was in the past or what I had hoped to be in the past. I do not consider myself having already obtained it. And I'm afraid that we in 21st century, especially South uh, southeastern Christianity, we look at our past and past decisions that we've made or past actions we've done in the context of a church and say, I'm done. And why, now I can go on living life however I feel like living it. I can pursue whatever earthly goals I want to pursue because I've already taken care of my eternity. Paul says, I don't consider myself having already obtained it. Why should we, why should you and I consider ourselves as having already obtained the goals of Christianity, that is knowing Christ and the resurrection, why should we consider ourselves having already obtained it when the author of the New Testament didn't? Not that I have already obtained it. He says it again in verse 13. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I do not consider that I have made it my own. And later in that verse, he says, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. If I could call you to do anything this morning, I would ask you, not to base your eternal security as we... I can say this because I grew up Southern Baptist and I went to a Southern Baptist seminary and I was a Southern Baptist pastor. So I can say this. I have, I have all the credentials. We, we cannot rest in our eternal security and our blessed assurance on our past understanding. Now, I'm not saying you might lose your salvation. Don't hear me say that. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is we cannot, we cannot sit in our comfort and in our complacency and look back at something that happened to us in the past with no impact on us in the present and say that that saved us. Because if salvation genuinely occurs, if regeneration genuinely occurs, if we are made new, if we are born again, we are set on a course toward the goal of Christianity, of knowing Christ and pursuing resurrection from the dead. And when that happens in our hearts and minds by the power of the Spirit, we have our eyes fixed on the goal. We're not doing the backstroke where we can't find where we're headed and just meandering around life. We are fixated on Christ by the power of the Spirit. And we drive toward Him. And so if you want to ask yourself, am I pursuing the goal of Christianity? Then ask yourself that. Okay, Joey, that was really weird. What do you mean? If you want to ask yourself if you are pursuing the goal of Christianity, then ask yourself that. The problem is, is we don't ask ourselves that. We don't ask ourselves, am I pursuing the goal of Christianity? We usually ask ourselves, have I ever pursued it in the past? 
Ask yourself if you're pursuing it in the now. And what does that look like? But some may say that we pursue it in the future, right? Okay, we don't pursue it in the past. Paul was clear. I I, I set those things behind me, forgetting what lies behind. Look what he says, though. He says, straining forward to what lies ahead. So maybe we should focus on what lies ahead, right? We should we should pursue this in the future, not in the now. And, and what some people have taken that to mean and, and have applied to their lives is that they've got to strive to be better before they can pursue the goals of Christianity. I've got to make myself better. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to change this about my life. I I, I know that I'm sinful in this way, and I've got to overcome that before I come to a relationship with God and knowing Him. God doesn't want to know me the way that I am now, and I've got to make myself better. I've got to improve myself first. Well, we're right back to legalism, aren't we? You see, those who look at the past can be legalists and those who look at the future can be legalists. I've got to improve myself. That's like me as an NBA star, right? I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked to make myself better. Then they changed the game and they don't need point guards anymore. They use point forward, so I didn't make it. I don't think it was really them changing the game that made me not make it, right? Um <clears throat> It had something to do with me never being able to be good enough, right? And this is the truth about our our pursuit of God. If we're trying to make ourselves good enough before we enter a relationship with Him, we will never get there. It's like working hard but never playing the game, right? And so others, instead of working hard and never playing the game, they, they just passively wait on Christ's return. They say, okay, I agree with you, Joey. The, the goal of Christianity is the resurrection of the dead, and that will happen at the time of Christ's return. And so I am going to wait on his return. Passively wait on his return. Because he's the one that will accomplish it, not me. Right? Super spiritual. He will accomplish it, not me. And he will accomplish it at the consummation of the age, right? And so I will passively wait for Christ's return. This is a dangerous position. Dangerous position. Because what it says is very much like the, the position that's just looking at the past. It's just trying to be super spiritual about it. Because basically what you're saying is, look, I've already taken care of salvation when I made that decision or I prayed that prayer or whatever, right, that I did. And now I'm just waiting on Jesus to come back. So I don't have anything else to do. I'll wait on him. And we meander through life, right, without any set goals or directions. And as a matter of fact, we find ourselves where we just refuse to battle sin in our lives because, you know, Jesus is going to take care of all of that when he glorifies me. He's going to do away with my sinful nature when he glorifies me. Right now I have the Spirit of God in me and a sinful nature in me, and they do battle with one another in Romans 7 sort of way. And, well, Jesus is going to fix that when he returns, and so I'm just going to wait on that. And we find ourselves just muddled in sin because we're lackadaisical about our pursuit of the goals of Christianity. Paul says, no, you don't pursue this in the future. 
It's not trying to better yourself and it's not just passively waiting. Passively waiting is really like an antinomianism type of, of approach. And what that means is it's against the law, right? There is no law. We can just live however we want to live because Christ is taking care of it and he's going to save us. It's kind of like not even training for the race, right? Paul says no. Matter of fact, Jesus said no. Jesus said any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven, right? It's not looking back in the past. It's not looking forward into the future. Even though Paul did say he's straining forward, listen to what he said about his straining forward. The straining forward, by the way, is a picture of a runner at the end of a race. You know, you've seen good Olympic runners at the end of the race, and it's like, you know, they're... they're muscles every muscle in their body as they're running is just just working but at the end of the race you see those facial expressions as they stretch out for the finish line i don't know what they think they're doing with their mouth if they're making themselves go faster or not but every muscle in their body is just intense reaching for and that's the straining forward that paul's talking about he's straining forward for the goal but listen he says verse 12 again Not that I have already obtained it, this, or am already perfect, but I press on. That's the present tense. And in verse 13, we talk about straining forward. He says, but one thing I do, right? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I understand that the goal of Christianity is knowing God by experience and relationship and knowing the power of the resurrection by experience that is being raised. And those two goals I have set before me and I press on constantly for them. I strain forward as if I am at the finish line all the time straining forward with every muscle in my body, reaching for the goal of Christianity in the here and now, perpetually and constantly. It is not in the past. It is not in the future. Yes, it is in the now. It may have been accomplished in the past by the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not by anything we did, but by the death, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, It was accomplished in the past and it may be attained finally in the future at his coming as verse 21 even tells us in this text. He says, who will transform our lowly body to the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself, right? And so he will transform our bodies into his likeness. This is that resurrection and glorification that occurs at his coming. It is a beautiful thing, and and we understand that it will be attained in the future, was accomplished in the past. But hear me, please. It is to be passionately pursued in the now. Hopefully you'll learn more about how to do that next week. But for now, do we have any role models? I had role models on my bedroom wall. I had Michael Jordan and Spud Webb, right? And I wanted to imitate them. Um, But do we have any role models that we can look to? Because remember, at the beginning of this, I said what I really want to call you to do is to become imitators. 
in the pursuit of the goal of Christianity. Become in imitators. The reason I say it that way is because uh, there, there are very few imperative verbs in this text. An imperative verb is kind of like a command, right? There are very few imperative verbs in this text. Paul's talking about himself. He's talking about how he presses on and he pursues uh, the, the, <clears throat> the goal of Christianity. But there is one imperative. That is that he's talking to his audience and telling them to do something. And it's found in verse 17. So let's look at it. Verse 17. Brothers... Join in imitating me, is the way the ESV has put it. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I'm no Greek scholar, um, but a better, more straightforward interpretation of the Greek there. And it's not just me saying it, it's other people that I've read as well, because that, that troubles me sometimes when I hear, hear it said that way. But, but it is a difficult Greek phrase, but, but there's one verb here, um, and it's to be, to become. And the word me is not really in the Greek per se, it's kind of gapped, but so what, what is actually being communicated in this phrase is become joint imitators. That's what Paul says. Brothers, become joint imitators. Maybe with me, if you wanted to throw the, the me back in there. Become joint. Join with me. Become joint imitators. Because imitators in, in the Greek here is definitely a noun. Um, and so become joint imitators, he says, and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so I call you, uh, just as I tried to imitate Michael Jordan and Spud Webb, I call you to missional community. As you engage in missional community, look around at others in your circles, in your Christian circles, find those people who are stars in the faith. Find those people who are passionately pursuing in the now, knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. You know who they are. They're easy to spot. Find those people and become imitators with them. More, more than just accountability partners, we, we use that phrase way too much in Christian circles, I think, because it's not only for accountability, but it's for camaraderie in the pursuit. We need camaraderie in the pursuit of the goals of Christianity, that is, in knowing Christ and the power of His resurrection. And the reason is because it's difficult. It's hard. Paul says we want to share in His sufferings even, right, and become like Him in His death. These are difficult things. And the difficulty that life throws at us in the midst of these pursuits will cause us to wander and meander and take our eyes off the fixed goal. And when we take our eye off the fixed goal, we, we, we hit the lame roads and sometimes even get out of the lane. And so 
I encourage you to have a community around you, a community of believers who can look you in the eye and ask you difficult questions about your pursuit of knowing Christ and as your pursuit of resurrection. Are you, are you straining forward in your knowledge of Him? Are you straining forward in your relationship with Him? Are you straining forward that you might be more intimate with Him? Are you straining forward in your worldview and allowing your worldview to be set by biblical understanding rather than by the media or the press or your job or your culture or your upbringing? What are those things that you're allowing to set the way you see the world that are in contradiction to the Word of God? And we we bring ourselves back to the Word and let the Word wash over us that we might have a biblical worldview. This is pursuing knowledge of Him that impacts us in the now, changes the way we see the world, changes the way we interact with the world, changes the way we interact with one another. So surround yourself with that type of community. When I was in college, I had um, had someone I greatly respect. I was telling somebody even, even this week, I don't remember who it was, but I was telling somebody this week that um, when I left high school, maybe it was my son since he's leaving high school right now. It probably was. So when I left high school, I, I was very prideful. I was full of pride, right? I had been in a youth group where, you know, I had preached when I was 16 years old. So, you know, everybody had me on a pedestal for some reason, and I thought I deserved it most of the time, right? And when I, when I went away to college, I thought, you know, I was going to walk in to the uh, whatever campus ministry I chose to be a part of, and I was going to be a leader as a freshman. You know, I was going to be a starting freshman in the campus ministry. You know, they should give me a scholarship, right? That's just kind of my mentality. Um, and so I, I, I get there, and, and it didn't take me very long at all to recognize that I was among people who had a more intimate relationship with my Jesus than I did. I was around people who knew him better than me, and I was put aback by that. I'm thankful to God. It humbled me. It changed me. Those people are still some of my closest friends. Um, but I, I encourage you with the words that one of my mentors in college gave me as he was a graduating senior and he was leaving, and I had really looked up to him a lot. Um, he saw some of that pride in me still. He looked at me and he said, Joey, you're going to have to be a leader now, right? I was middle of my junior year. He said, you're going to have to be the leader now, but even as a leader, surround yourself, I'll never forget these words, surround yourself with people who are better than you are and become like them. Wise words from, you know, a 21-year-old, right? Surround yourself with people who are better than you are and become like them. And by better than you are, I don't mean just more righteous than you are. I mean people who love Jesus. I mean people who exude a relationship with Jesus. I mean people who know the Word and allow it to change their actions. I mean people who spend time communicating with Jesus and they don't even call it prayer. Did you hear that? Because it's just natural and it just happens throughout the day. I think that's what Paul's talking about when he says, pray without ceasing. Because I'm in communication with Jesus and I don't even realize I'm praying because I'm just thinking about something and asking him about something and it's just happening. Find those people and put yourself in their midst and become like them and let them become like you in this joint imitator relationship. We join together together and we work together 
to imitate Jesus together because ultimately we are not called to imitate Paul. Paul says in other places, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And and so we're not ultimately called to imitate Paul. He's not saying imitate me. He's saying imitate Jesus and be joint together in that in community with others that you can bring them alongside you and you can all fix your eyes on Jesus and you can imitate him together. That's what he's calling us to do. And that's what I'm calling you to do in the now. Not looking at your past and not longing for something in the future. Imitate him in the now. He gives us a list of those just characteristics of who we're not to imitate. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. I'll just race through these. It's pretty obvious. Those who are controlled by their appetites. Right? These are worldly things. Those who celebrate their sin, their glories, their shame, those who celebrate their sin, and those who are just traditionally and worldly minded in general. He says, keep an eye on them. Isn't that interesting? That's the only other imperative here. Be joint imitators and keep an eye on these. Keep an eye on them. Watch out for these because they will drag you down and bring you into a position of being an enemy with them of the cross. And so be aware of the influences in your life in the now that drive you away from relationship with Jesus. Be aware of those things that entangle the feet in the race, right? Be aware of those things that distract you from the goal of knowing Christ and of the resurrection of the dead. And keep an eye on them so that you can keep them at bay as you focus on the goal. Finally, where is this goal? Where's the focal point? Where is this focal point? He tells us in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the focal point as we pursue the goal, we must constantly be reminded that we are not of this world, but we are in this world. We are strangers in this world. We are aliens in this world. We are alienated from this world. We are different from this world. We are a high priesthood, right? We are been, we've been made a nation of priests. We, ha- we are set apart. We are holy. We are a kingdom and our king is Jesus Christ and our citizenship is in that kingdom and therefore we must fix our eyes on the kingdom of Christ in the now and if we see the kingdom in and among us in the now we change the way we live in this world and so I encourage you to focus your eyes and focus your heart's intent and focus your goals and focus your life patterns and habits around citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, As citizens of the United States of America, we typically do similar things as habits, right? Because that's what our, our culture, we follow the culture and it's not a bad thing. We just live as good citizens as we're supposed to do in the city and we do certain things. We have jobs, we have homes, we have cars, we stay on the right-hand side of the road, not the left because we're over here, not over there. You know what I mean? So we, we, we're just good citizens because we focus on the 
culture of the nation in which we are citizens. Focus on the culture of the kingdom of Christ and obey those habitual things that we do as Christians, and that's talking to Jesus, reading the Word, encouraging one another, leaning on one another, and even suffering joyfully for the cause of Christ. Not only is it a kingdom focus, but it is a king word focus that is toward Christ. Um, We must focus our eyes on Christ. And the author of Hebrews can't preach this text without at least referring to Hebrews 12, right? Therefore, since we we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance. I think we've talked about that. uh, And the sin which so easily entangles. And let us... Run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for this joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who, is, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We are to become imitators of Jesus Christ jointly together as we passionately pursue knowing Him and His resurrection in the now with all endurance, without distraction. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that uh, You challenge us by it. I pray this morning that that You've used it in the hearts of Your people to... um, Motivate us to love you more now. I pray, Father, that you would perfect, perfect our, um, our desires for you. God, I pray that you would protect us from uh, this lackadaisical thing that some have called Christianity. Convict us of our contentment and drive us to pursue you confessing that eternal life is knowing you and I desire to know you more. Confessing, Father, that yes, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But Father, that doesn't mean we're going to wait around to die. We're going to live passionately for the sake of Christ in the now. Challenge us by your word. Don't let us be the same because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at Summit.